On today's episode of Must Rewatch TV, I sing without pause, but make sure to allow my inner narrator a minute to offer a compelling monologue. That's right, I'm stepping outside my comfort zone. I'm chatting musicals and crossing the bridge to Schmigadoon. But like characters Melissa and Josh played brilliantly by Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key, I find that Schmicago has an energy far surpassing its predecessor. Paying homage to 60s and 70s musicals, the show entertained on an unparalleled level. With emotional musical numbers, outstanding choreography, stellar performances, and Titus Burgess as the narrator, I couldn't wait to rewatch Something Real. Get ready for some sweet moments with Dove Cameron, a vibrant hippie dance sequence, and a doozy of an earworm. Oh, and maybe a final number involving tap dancing orphans, cannibalism, and Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cummings. Need I say more? So, save a spot by the bubbla and join the rewatch. Josh and Melissa realized they were still in Chicago. Wah, wah. You actually thought that was a happy ending? You get acquitted for a murder you didn't commit and you get to go home? Yeah, we were pretty happy about that. How is that not a happy ending? Oh, you two have a lot to learn about happiness. Oh, really? Okay. Since you're so all-knowing and wise, why don't you tell us what we need to do to get out of here? You really want to know? Yes! yes! You need to... Figure it out for yourself! That's not nice. Thought that you were clever. Gotta be here forever. Stuck here in Chicago. You're not helpful. You're not either. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Must Rewatch. TV. I'm your host, Zach. All right, everybody, and welcome back. I have a wonderful show for you all today. What are we going to be kind of talking about? I wanted to do something completely and utterly different, and that's exactly what I did. One, I chose a show that is relatively brand new, at least the episode from the season that I'm covering today literally just aired a couple weeks ago. And then I wanted to do a musical. Yes, that's right. I wanted to do a show that was a musical in some capacity where there was lots of singing, there was dancing, so wonderful choreography, wonderful costumes, rapport between the characters, and we got drama, darkness, light, vibrancy. I wanted something that was just completely and utterly different than anything I have talked about on this show before. And that's exactly what I have for all of you today. We're taking on the show Schmigadoon, which was on Apple TV. The second season just aired over the last couple weeks. Let me just say it this way. I am not and do not pretend to be an expert on musicals. I grew up in Massachusetts, and so my theater experience was incredibly limited growing up. Maybe I saw Grease at some kind of community theater in New Hampshire and maybe, maybe Little Shop of Horrors. But I absolutely and utterly enjoy musicals. I really do. Even from the kind of novice that I am, I just take it all in. I'm I'm in awe by it. I'm smitten by it. I've, I've seen a couple Broadway plays. I've seen Beetlejuice. I've seen Something Rotten. Even some off-Broadway plays like Wicked. I actually saw that when I was living in Hawaii. And even I saw at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I saw Moby Dick the musical. You know, a play about Moby Dick, 
yeah, I was all in. I'm a Melville fan, so and I've read Moby Dick, and growing up in in Massachusetts, you kind of it's a rite of passage to read that book, and so that was an absolutely transformative musical for me. So I haven't seen, I would argue, a ton of musicals. Again, I've seen obviously some really incredible movies that have been based on musicals or have used kind of musical scores. I mean, obviously Hamilton, The Les Mis, and Rent, which my wife is a huge fan of. Movies like The Greatest Showman, as well as Anna and the Apocalypse, a, a movie that probably not all of you know, but oh my goodness, I wish that they would take that movie and put it on Broadway. So I don't know a lot about this world, but I'm enthralled by it. I enjoy it. And so I wanted to kind of take something like that on today where I could kind of watch a lot of comedy, a lot of humor and some wackiness, and then some really powerful and really enjoyable songs that get to the heart of some really important themes. And so the TV show that I focused on, again, Schmigadoon, I literally just watched this show a couple weeks ago. I finished the entire second season in literally one sitting. I was really moved by it. I was humored by it. I was simply in awe of it. While I really enjoyed the first season of the show as well, the second season just upped the game. So yeah, so I felt like the second season really just offered some cutting humor, some musical satire, some really dark themes of loss, regret, the feelings of depression, the longing for looking for a happy ending, and also really though a ton of heart and some truly wonderful dance numbers and beautiful songs and lyrics. And so yeah, so while I really enjoyed the first season, the second season just felt like it was a much funner watch. It did exactly what was necessary for really the two main characters who we'll talk about and really surrounded them with some stellar, stellar performances and real great character development development in this kind of new world of Chicago. So let's talk a little bit about the show itself, some technical details, what the show is all about, and then we'll start getting into the world of second season Schmigadoon. But the show aired on Apple TV. It is a musical comedy. It was released originally on July 16th, 2021. The second season's finale aired on May 3rd, 2023. Um, its IMDb rating is 7.4. But interestingly enough, all of the episodes from the second season are rated 8.0 or higher. Obviously, the second season has done something that really upped its kind of popularity and rating as well. If you were not a fan of the first season or it just didn't hit you in all the right ways, come back for the second season and you will be pleasantly surprised by how great it really is. So there's only been a total of 12 episodes, six in the first season, six in the second season. They are very short episodes in many ways, but they are packed with music, comedic moments, incredible drama. I do believe that the short episodes and the short seasons allow for them to accomplish a lot. So Schmigadoon, again, this musical comedy television series was created by Cinco Paul and Kevin Dario. It is starring an ensemble cast, but it is really led by Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key. The choreography is done by Christopher Gatelli, um, and oh my God, the choreography in this show is just absolutely outstanding. But, but so let me just say the premise of the entire series. And so in the first season, uh, we have two New York doctors, Melissa and Josh, they go on a backpacking trip in an attempt to patch up their failing relationship, only to find themselves still arguing and kind of, you know, breaking apart at the seams. They get lost and soon discover a magical town called Schmigadoon, which is perpetually trapped in a kind of golden age style musical. And soon they learn that they cannot leave the town until they find true love. 
It was a beautiful kind of six episode season, lots of great music. Again, during the entire first season, we have these two characters, Melissa and Josh. Again, Melissa played by Cecily Strong and Josh played by Keegan-Michael Key, who are ultimately not knowing the world that they're in and trying to get out of it. And eventually finding again, spoiler alert, that their true love is themselves. And by re-remembering why they fell in love and that they do love each other, they are allowed to leave. So ultimately though, what really makes the second season work, as I'll talk about, is that they're now looking for Schmigadoon once again. And so here's a little bit of the premise of season two. So in season two, Melissa and Josh, now married, find their lives monotonous as doctors in New York City. They search for a quaint village of Schmigadoon. Once again, they want to go back because they thought that they would be happy and they're just not feeling happy. And so they look for Schmigadoon to go back to how they felt in that moment when they rediscovered their love for one another. But when they arrive, they find that it's not Schmigadoon any longer, but Schmicago, a world that plays satirical homage to sexy, dark, 1960s and 1970s musicals to escape they must reach a happy ending what i love about the second season as i'll explain is that they're in on the joke they're in on the fact that this is a magical world and they're going to have to do something in order to leave it what made it so much better than the first season is the fact that when we see them in it that there's musicals that are starting and we're going to have a narrator all of these things they get it they understand it they know it and they can immediately during the entire season are together focused on getting out. When in the first season, they're separated. They're not really talking to each other. They're not even sure of the type of world that they're in. But in the second season, no, from the first episode to the last episode, it seems like there is a much deeper connection between them as well as the world that they're in. And so let's go over some of the characters at this point. We have Keegan-Michael Key as Josh Skinner. Again, I love Keegan-Michael Key. I loved him when he was on Reno 911. I loved him when he was doing all his sketch comedy in Key and Peele. Definitely his ability to do sketch comedy comes out in a lot of these episodes in his quick comedy, his facial expressions. He he has upped his game from season one to season two. His, his singing abilities, as well as just his ability to kind of lean into the character. And of course, the second lead character is Melissa, uh, played by Cecily Strong. And oh my goodness, Cecily Strong is amazing. Um, but in the second season, as I said, just is completely elevated her performance. Her singing in the second season is just beautiful. Her clothing and costumes in the second season are just fantastic. She's fierce. Her solo numbers are amazing. Her comedy is just perfection. She's able to go back and forth, not only with Keegan-Michael Key's character of Josh, but also the narrator and other characters especially Jenny Banks, as I'll say, played by Dove Cameron. She just brings so much more to the second season than even the first season. The second season is fucking funny and it really is cutting. It's really unique. It's really different and interesting. And honestly, Cecily Strong is at the center of all of it and her SNL background just kind of comes out. And so for our kind of other major characters, obviously we have Dove Cameron as Jenny Banks, the kind of cabaret performer inspired by Aliza Minnelli's portrayal in, say, Cabaret. Not in this episode, but Jamie Camille playing Sergeant Rivera is Kristen Chenoweth as Miss Codwell, the owner of an orphanage that's kind of combining elements from Sweeney Todd as well as Annie. Alan Cummings, who plays Dooley Blight, a butcher and Jenny Banks's father. Again, this is based on obviously the major title character in Sweeney Todd. And then we have Ariana DeBoz. Again, she is the MC, the master of ceremonies at the club. Again, she's kind of utilizing a character from also Cabaret. She was far more widely utilized in, say, the first season, but obviously her kind of star has only risen after she won the Oscar for West Side Story. Um, another actor, Jane Krakowski, plays Bobby Flanagan. Oh my God, Jane Krakowski. She is, a, what a fucking awesome performer. She's going to do one number in another episode by which she is doing a trapeze performance. She just goes for it and I am here for it. 
But Jane Krakowski is also another character that won't make an appearance in the episode and another character that doesn't make an appearance in this episode, but also has a role in both the first and the second season is Martin Short, who plays a leprechaun. Another major, major character who will be in this episode and who was standing in the first season and the second season is Aaron Tveit. He is playing the character of Topher, the leader of the tribe of hippies. His performance, especially in the episode that I'm focusing on today, is just outstanding. He's funny. He is really deep and sad at certain points, but it is fantastic. And then last but not least, the major character for today's episode especially is Titus Burgess as the narrator. Burgess is amazing. I loved him when he was on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He is so outstanding. His voice is amazing. His facial expressions, his mannerisms, the way he delivers his both his comedic line, his dramatic lines, his musical lines is just everything that you could possibly want. His performance as the narrator in this episode and in this season is just what elevates the season. He is outstanding. His ability to break the fourth wall, he's talking to the audience, he's making fun of Melissa and Josh, he's he's cutting them down, he's pissing them off, they're even arguing back and forth, but he's pushing the story along throughout the entire second season, and you never know if he is devious, if, if he's a bad guy. You don't know, and you don't care, because you are just enjoying his performance so for the second season of Schmigadoon, we have our two leads, Melissa and Josh, at the crossroads of their lives. They're not necessarily bored in their life, but they're stuck. They are looking for something that kind of resembles and can kind of mean happiness. That's what they're looking for. And whether or not it actually exists or not, whether or not it's guaranteed is really where we see the second season. I also really like that the second season is very edgy. It's gritty. It's based on musicals like Chicago and Annie and Sweeney Todd. And, but I also really, as I said, like the fact that our two leads are in on what's going on, that they understand their surroundings right out of the gate, and we have a narrator that is just going to act as a kind of thorn in their side. It's not a season that, that kind of treads the exact same ground as the first season. It actually changes it. It actually does it slightly different. It might kind of borrow some of the format from the first season, but it's elevating the songs, it's elevating the performances, it's really changing the structure of what they're supposed to find in this place. If the first season they were trying to rediscover that they loved each other, and the second season they're trying to find out what is actually a happy ending, and are you supposed to bring happiness to all of the people here in order for you to leave? Are you supposed to find your happy ending? Does a happy ending even exist? I really like that it's it's not necessarily a kind of Groundhog Day concept, but it is definitely, say, Groundhog Day adjacent. You know that this is a magical land. You don't ultimately know why this magical land is doing the things that it's doing. You're allowing the mystery to be. They need to discover what is going to be required of them to learn so that they can leave. They went there. They chose in the second season to look for Schmigadoon, ultimately accidentally finding Schmigago. Once there, as the narrator Titus Burgess will tell them, you have to now discover what is necessary for you to leave. And that is what is a happy ending. And so he's not going to give them the answers. All right, so let's get into some of the technical details from today's episode. So the title of the episode is Something Real. It aired on April 19th, 2023. It's directed by Alice Mathias, as well as written by Raina Morris. It is the fourth episode from the second season, the 10th episode overall from the entire series. This episode is rated 8 on IMDb and ran for roughly 31 minutes. Again, it is a very quick, jam-packed, excellent dialogue episode. The dance sequences are just out of this world. Wonderful music as well as lyrics. And as I said, we have a really, really sweet song at one point. A really, really cool, hip, vibrant, hippie dance sequence that is just humorous and just beautiful to watch. But then we'll end the episode with a really dark song. 
So the character development is on full display. You even kind of really see characters get really impressive kind of dimensional moments as well. We're getting to some really real depths, especially with, say, Dove Cameron's character of Jenny. We even see it with, say, even Dooley Blight at certain points. And obviously the choreography is being done by Christopher Catelli. He did the choreography for the first season as well as the second season. The choreography is just, again, outstanding. Even at the end where we see um, Good Enough to Eat, oh my goodness. The overall plot details, we have Melissa and Josh attempting to cross the bridge but are unable to leave Chicago. This is going to prompt the narrator to kind of offer hints. And so that's going to speculate that the only way they can get out of Chicago is if they make everyone in Chicago happy. So this will involve them talking to Jenny's father, Dooley Blight, trying to make him happy, making Topher happy, making Jenny happy, making Miss Codwell happy. But ultimately, what we'll find out in this episode is that Melissa and Josh are going to start to pull strings. And once you start pulling strings, it all unravels. It's going to unravel in some really wacky, interesting, and unique ways. You have literally, especially in this episode, you have a dance sequence that is wacky, extreme, and fully engaging and exciting to watch. And then one moment with two individuals, we'll see Dove Cameron and Aaron Tevitt as Jenny and Topher singing simply in a tent together by themselves in one of the most beautiful, beautiful songs that I've heard sang. The song has no right to be as good as it actually is. But then ultimately, a couple moments later, you're going to watch two individuals, <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cummings as Codwell and Blight singing about possibly cannibalism, child murder, and a lot of other dark shit. And it's wonderful, and it's fantastic, and I love all of it. So you have dark, light, exciting, sweet, all of that wrapped up into one episode. And yet it tied it all together perfectly, especially with the narrator, with Josh and Melissa as the center points of all of it. Ultimately, you're running the spectrum. You're running the lengths. And I had only watched this episode for the first time a week before, and I could not wait to rewatch it again. It was just, oh my goodness. It was that engaging and exciting and fun of an episode. All right, everybody, so now's the opportunity for us to cross the bridge and enter Schmigadoon. But as we cross that bridge, we notice that the sign for Schmigadoon has fallen down, and now it's Schmicago. And that's exactly how this episode opens, and we're going to start to see our narrator now singing, Titus Burgess singing. I love his facial expressions, the kind of pitch while he's singing. It's just simply so fun to watch. And the lyrics are kind of going over what we've seen so far, that now, you know, Melissa, while she's been having fun with her performances, and Josh has now been acquitted, he has been found not guilty of murder in the the episode before and so the narrator is singing as they're heading uh, josh and melissa are now walking through chicago they're heading to the bridge to their car so they can leave they think that they have found their happy ending that him being released from prison her doing her performances them coming back together have now been enough for them to leave chicago once and for all they do not want to stay here they hate it. As they get there, the car is beat to shit. There's no tires. It's, I mean, it is dirty. Uh, so Melissa is pissed at this moment. She's like, you know what? I hated this car anyway. Let's just, let's just walk. And again, Strong is delivering her dialogue perfectly. There's, there's comedy in the way that, that she says her lines, the way that she looks at Josh. You know, you really buy their relationship. You buy their love for one another. Really, really, really work well together. I can't stress enough that their comedy back and forth is pitch perfect. Everything is just elevated and believable this season. 
So I love that as they are on the bridge and they're agreeing to walk home, get the hell out of here, the narrator shows up and he's like, hey, you're leaving so soon. And so they're going to go back and forth by which he's like, oh, but I thought you were having so much fun. And Melissa's getting annoyed and annoyed and annoyed. Pretty much he's trying to stop them from leaving. And I love when Josh comes in, he's like, hey, no, 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 don't engage the narrator. What a, one of the one of the great lines of this episode, the narrator just loves to engage them. He loves to piss them off. He's trying to antagonize them. And so Melissa is just getting more and more and more and more pissed off. She's even walking towards the narrator and said, let me tell you what's fun. And so he, for his part, is just smirking. And he is in many ways loving the drama again. And, and Titus Burgess is a dream to watch, as I said on screen. And so he's just crushing it here. But I love that Melissa just goes up to him. She's like, you know what? Schmigadoon was fun. They were pretty dresses. Josh is just standing there agreeing. The narrator has a frown on his face. And again, how a frown can steal the show when uh, Cecily Strong as Melissa is just kind of throwing lines at him about why she doesn't like Schmicago and she misses Schmigadoon. She even mentions, which would be a callback to later in the episode, she's even saying at this point, you know, Schmigadoon had tap dancing children. It had a romantic tunnel of love rides. But the tap dancing children, she misses that. Don't worry, by the end of this episode, we will have tap dancing children. So Melissa clearly enjoyed Schmigadoon because it was much more carefree, bright, and happy, and even saying to the narrator at this point that this place, Schmicago, she's like, I hate to break it to you, but this place is not fun, by which the narrator is obviously like, oh, I don't know about that. You were having a lot of fun at the club, dancing, and, and I love that Mel just eventually cuts in, and she's just like, you know, yeah, okay, that was a bit of an adre adrenaline rush, but I did that to save Josh, and I love when she says, I did that to save Josh, and then the narrator just kind of looks at Josh, and kind of, and Titus just gives him a boo lip, and so now Josh Josh and Melissa are pretty much like, we're done. And the narrator, for his part, is just waving to them and saying, okay, bye, keep in touch as they walk across the bridge into the fog. Now the camera is focusing on the fog as we see them walking towards us. And then, of course, when they exit, they look and they see the car. There it is, jazz is spray painted on it. You see the sign that says, welcome to Chicago. And you have the narrator, happy, gleeful, and he's waving at them. And Josh just pretty much says, Oh, no. And the narrator starts laughing hysterically. He's looking at the camera and he starts to narrate the story again to us. And he goes, and then Josh and Melissa realized that they were still in Chicago. And so I played that clip at the beginning of this episode. They're not leaving. They did not find their happy ending. And I love that he's like, did you really think that you found a happy ending? That you being found not guilty of murder is the happy ending? They're like, yeah, that made us pretty happy. <laughs> and so you have really good comedy, really good back and forth. And even Melissa, how is that? not a happy ending. So the camera then cuts to the narrator. He's looking pretty annoyed at this point. And he's like, how do I have to explain this lesson? He, his mannerisms in this moment is his hand is on his head. And you can just see this is an individual who is like, how do you not get this? How do you not understand this? And that's when he says, you know, you have a lot to learn about happiness, which is a really important line, actually. Their need to learn what happiness is, is ultimately going to be the key point of this entire episode as well as the entire season. It's all about happiness. It's all about you discovering what happiness is, that you just being happy in this moment because you were found not guilty is ultimately not really the happiness that we're talking about. Even Mel Melissa's cutting in and she's like, oh, really? If that's not happiness? Well, since you're all knowing and wise, and then I love how he cuts in, thank you. And so he's not going to give them any more information. He's not going to tell them what this, what they need to do. And even yells at them that they need to figure this out. And so he is seriously funny. And then obviously he goes into his song about Chicago. They're obviously going to tell him that he's not being helpful. He's going to tell them that they're not being helpful. It leaves Melissa and Josh to kind of not understand and not and be quite unsure of what they need to do. 
So as the narrator walks away with his hands in his pockets, we see Melissa and Josh kind of look at each other and ask what they should do now. And even Josh kind of starting to apologize that it was his idea to come here and her even cutting in and say, hey, you're just you're just trying to help. And she is saying it so sadly. And she's she isn't sure in many ways that she even can be helped. And she's at such a kind of depressing point. You know, Cecily Strong just owns this moment, owns this character. She is just so really believable here that she is this feeling this broken in this moment. And Josh is trying to comfort her and even her saying, you know, literally every single person here is unhappy. How are they going to be able to help themselves become happy when everyone here is unhappy? And that's when the camera starts to pull away and we're forced to kind of look at Josh and Melissa. And then Josh kind of looks like he's thinking about something and he says, wait, and the music starts to sound quite triumphant. And he continues, he goes, maybe that's it. And she's like, what? And he goes, well, maybe we couldn't cross because we don't just need a happy ending for us. Maybe we need a happy ending for everybody. And so the music is so perfect as they kind of go back and forth in this kind of like, she's like, yeah, maybe you're right. Then Melissa cuts in and she's like, the narrator said that we weren't being helpful. Maybe that's a clue. Maybe we're supposed to help other people here get happy. Ultimately, their new strategy is to focus on everybody around them. Maybe if they focus on these individuals, bring them happiness, that will be their ticket out of Chicago. And so then the scene cuts to their apartment where we see them looking at these wonderful, wonderful little drawings of all the major characters. And I love these drawings. We have Topher, Jenny, Kraft, Bobby, Dooley, Caldwell, Frau. You have all these characters, even Rivera, all these kind of like, you know, childish drawings with all their names on it by which Melissa and Josh are going to use to kind of put in different places like a puzzle piece and seeing how they're going to make one happy and how this can hopefully be a domino effect that brings happiness to all of them. But I love that Melissa's looking at these drawings and even says to Josh, I mean, what is happiness? And so she's starting to get a little bit angry about this. And she's like, listen, I went to med school. We got married. We moved to the suburbs because we thought that that would make us happy. But it didn't. She's really unhappy and, uh, and really upset why she feels unhappy when she feels like she's done everything right. And again, and this is another kind of standout moment for Strong as well. And I think that, you know, Cecily Strong's Melissa character just feels that low. It's what brought them back to Chicago in the and the goals of getting back to Schmigadoon. She just doesn't know what went wrong and Josh doesn't know what went wrong either. They're looking at the pictures, but they're looking at each other and they're just asking themselves these questions. I do believe these characters love each other in this moment. And so they're ultimately feeling, uh, thinking about what they need to do. And even Mel is, Melissa is trying to argue that a lot of it comes back to Dooley and mainly because Dooley is Jenny's father. And so if maybe they can kind of bring Dooley happiness by making him reconnect with his daughter, Jenny, then ultimately this will stop him from wanting to have revenge. He will be happy. This will make them happy and it will ultimately make other people's happy throughout the community of Chicago. And so they need to ultimately bring Dooley and Jenny back together by proclaiming and reminding Jenny that her father is innocent. Again, there's lots of backstories that have been going on for over the season about how Jenny, her father, Dooley, who's the butcher, you know, the kind of Sweeney Todd, ultimately went to jail because of the murder of her mother. But ultimately, that's something that he didn't do. He was framed. But Jenny doesn't believe that. So to her, her father is dead. So ultimately, at this moment, Melissa's argument is that if they can make Dooley happy, that will ultimately make Codwell happy. That will ultimately make Jenny happy. That will ultimately make Kraft sad. But that's but that but Kraft being sad will ultimately make everybody else happy. And so and then I love that Josh Josh cuts in and he's like, well, what if it's bigger than this? And she's like, I don't understand. He's like, well, maybe if we have to kill baby Hitler. 
And Mel was like, what do you, what? And Josh was like, yeah, kill baby Hitler. She's like, what, what year do you think that this is even? And, he, and her delivery is quite golden in this moment. And she's kind of waving her hands in a circle. And I love Josh because again, the Mr. Unsure of musicals in general, as we've seen in, in season one, going into season two, he's like, you know what? I re- It's still very unclear to me. At that moment, though, we have our first appearance in this episode of Jenny, played by uh, Dove Cameron. She walks in the room as Mel and Josh and talking. She's kind of like, hey, anybody got a cigarette? Right, And they're like, nope, still don't smoke. And she's like, oh, you guys are such a pip. So her dialogue, her presence, her delivery is just fantastic. Dove Cameron truly won me over in this entire season. Oh my goodness. Her center stage presence in this season is just absolutely outstanding. Melissa tries to have a conversation with her at this time and says, yeah, you know who I saw the other day? And she's like, well, who did you see? I I ran into your father. Isn't that interesting? Jenny's like, that's very strange. I don't actually have a father. And so Melissa kind of cuts in. It's like, well, you know, I know that you guys might have some issues. And so it's a conversation now that's taking place by which Melissa and Josh are going to try to get Jenny to make up with her father. But there is a deep issue at root between Jenny and her father, her belief that her father killed her mother, which he went to jail for. And so Melissa, for her part, is trying to engage in Jenny in this moment to make her think that, hey, maybe he didn't do it. And for Dove Cameron, she just shows incredible, powerful range. She just nails the delivery by which she's like, why are you, you know, why are you telling me this? You know, I am not going to listen to you. She goes, I don't want to do anything with my father. I, as far as I'm concerned, he's dead. And she's just so pitch perfect in her facial expression for Cecily Strong's character of Melissa. She, she hurts for Jenny. Jenny clearly is very angry. She's very hurt. The sadness that is in her face, the anger in her delivery, and then the the sadness that is in the eyes and face of Melissa as Jenny is saying these things to her is just absolutely utterly cutting. So once she tells Melissa in many ways to kind of drop it, to leave it alone, she's like, got it. And she will. And so that scene between Melissa and Jenny is just, is really quite moving. There's no laughs in that moment. It's just a reminder in many ways of how broken and unhappy the characters of Chicago truly actually are. Even as they are putting on this kind of front, they are pretending in this happiness. Because almost immediately after Jenny says that, she starts to giggle. She puts on her hat. She starts to be really cute. And she starts to really change her personality. And that's when she sits over next to Josh and she even puts the hat on his head and she's like, you look fabulous with a hat on. So almost as soon as Jenny says to Josh that he looks fabulous with the hat on because it's better than when he had hair and it reminds Josh of his experience hanging out with Topher as well as his hippie squad or tribe, it makes him come up with an idea. And so he hears the comment and then he looks at Jenny and he says, hey, Jenny, how would you like to go someplace fabulous? It makes her like, yeah, I would love to go to a place fabulous. That sounds fantastic. I'm already on my way. And she kind of laughs and flicks his hat and they have this kind of wonderful little moment. And in the background, you can and hear some 60s hippie style music. And so the audience knows what's going on and where Josh is thinking of bringing Jenny because he's going to bring her to meet the hippie tribe at the camp, meet Topher. And so maybe their happiness, maybe their kind of carefree attitudes, this kind of forgiveness and love can kind of rub off on Jenny. And if it rubs off onto Jenny, maybe she will forgive their father Dooley, which will make him happy, which makes Codwell happy, which now creates the domino effect of bringing happiness to all 
of Chicago. And so ultimately the next scene will cut to the hippie camp where we see them walking into the camp and Jenny is out in front of Mel Melissa and Josh. They're right behind her. She's kind of looking at the place. She loves it. She calls it marvelous. The music is incredibly upbeat. And Melissa, for her part, is very unsure if the hippies are going to be very helpful. From episodes before, she thinks all of this stuff is bullshit. And ultimately all of the hippies hated her. But Josh is like all into it. He loves it. And even Jenny is like, this place is positively bohemian. Melissa just looks at her and is like, yes, right. Okay, well, I do want to warn you. They can be a little cold to newcomers. And almost as soon as she says that, we see the kind of three major characters, Alex Golson being the kind of lead one out of these three, running over to Jenny, calling her friend, giving her a huge hug. They're all welcoming her. Jenny's even like, well, welcome to me. And they're all laughing. And Melissa just looks absolutely confused. And so then we see Topher again. He's the leader, as I've talked about. Aaron Tavait. He's awesome. And so he welcomes Josh back and he's like, everybody's all happy. Everybody's like, welcome back, Josh. And then even says, hey, okay. Hey, welcome Josh's old lady back too. Melissa just kind of waves. No one cheers for her. It's so funny. And so Josh kind of trying to cut through the silence just says, woohoo, Melissa. And even Melissa kind of cuts him off and tells him, no, it's, it's fine. I don't, I, don't, I don't need it. Their delivery is just so pitch perfect, so genuine that you can't help but laugh. And the hilariousness that all of these people hate Melissa for absolutely no reason. But the comedy, the comedy's outstanding. When Topher meets Jenny, he welcomes her. They shake hands. They have a really sweet moment of silence in many ways as they look at each other. Clearly, these two characters are feeling something in this very, very short moment. And so he tells everybody that they're just in time and they were about to have a, you know, today's tribal meeting. And so everybody is cheering for the tribal meeting. And so the next scene is going to be the hippie tribal meeting held in this hippie camp, junkyard. It's very vibrant. It's very colorful. We have a school bus obviously there. We have Topher in the center and he's going to be kind of starting their meeting and he's talking about their granola policy. Really fucking funny. Even saying, hey, everybody, it's take a scoop, leave a scoop. Josh at this point is like, I'll remember that. Yeah, I totally am in. And I love that as the camera, you can look over and see Melissa and she's just kind of shaking her head like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, she hates the fact that Josh loves this so much. So we have we have Melissa sitting to the left. We have Josh sitting to the right. And in between them is Jenny. And that's where we're going to see these characters sitting as Topher starts to kind of give his early speech. And so he says he wants a parable. So I'll play this clip here for you because this scene is just outstanding. Not only is are we going to see Topher try to keep control of a meeting, but ultimately Melissa and Josh are going to annoy the shit out of him. He is going to get so mad that he is eventually going to break into song as they keep changing his story. Ultimately, their goal to make the story about Dooley and Jenny to try to get Jenny to make up with her father. This is a story about our father up in heaven. Oh, sorry. I'm, and I'm just riffing here. But what if it was actually just like a normal dad? Okay, sure. A normal father was traveling with his eldest son. Oh, just a pitch. Maybe it's his daughter. Okay, fine. <laughs> he was traveling with his daughter. Oh, oh, you know what? No more suggestions, okay? Sorry. Okay. He was traveling with his eldest daughter, and they came upon a village. Sorry, just one last thing. But what if the dad's not actually with his daughter? Oh, right, right. Yeah, and like, uh, maybe something really bad happened? And they've been apart for a long time. Why are you hassling me? What? Criticizing me? What makes you think that you should be advising me? Oh, no, 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 you know what? You guys just do it. Since you seem to think you can do it better than me. Go ahead. 
I mean, come on, everybody. That's a wow moment right there. He hits that high note with incredible vigor, and it's just incredible. I mean, Aaron Tveit is just amazing, and I do really believe that that moment, as well as the moments to come, especially with Dove Cameron, is where they're going to do some of their best work of the entire series. But I love while he's singing this, and he's kind of telling them that they're criticizing him, and we see Melissa and Josh trying to apologize in that moment, but he just walks away, and he's like, fine, you do it. You're in charge. I'm going into my tent, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go away from you all. And so I love that the entire kind of hippie group looks at Josh while they're sitting there and he's ultimately like, okay, I got to get up and I got to take over this, this meeting. And everybody is kind of clapping. And even I love Jenny's kind of clap. It's so cute. It's so adorable. She's totally into Josh standing up and now doing the story himself. He's now in front of the entire group. It's this tribal meeting, but he doesn't know really what to do, but you, the camera pans to Melissa, who's nodding her head towards Jenny, kind of indicating, Hey, Here's your opportunity. Make this story about Jenny. And so Josh is like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And then the music starts. When you hear the music, it's now a musical number. And so Josh, being the individual who's quite anti-musicals, is like, oh, I don't want to do this. He's like, hey, Mel, Melissa, you can do this, right? You, you, you're the singer. And Melissa's like, no. And, jo and Josh is just like, no, 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 but you're, you're better at these things. And she's like, everybody here hates me. And he's like, can you please? And she's like, just do it. And so then it breaks into the kind of intro to the song, Talk to Daddy. Here's a little ditty about Pretty Penny Left home for the city, she was one of many Got letters by the sack from her lonely father But did she write them back? No, she didn't bother Got one last letter and the letter said We're sorry to inform you that your father's dead So Talk to daddy, talk, talk to daddy. He will rock you when you are sad. He isn't ideal, but you need to heal. So talk to daddy, talk, talk to daddy now. I'm not really sure that I could love Key, Strong, or Cameron any more than I do in this number. All of the imagery is amazing. The, the lyrics, the dance numbers, the color, the vibrancy, just the kind of facial expressions. And I do really believe that Key and Strong have really upped their game with their musical talents this season. And that's why I always really enjoyed the fact that Key, especially at the start of this song, is a guy that he hates musicals, but he's leaning into it. And he is kind of doing the wonderful illustrations and the imagery with, say, a penny, even kind of strong kind of coming in as Melissa and saying, you know, talk to daddy, talk, talk to dad. It, it is a wonderful, wonderful song, but it is made even better because of, again, the center stage presence of strong and key as they are singing. There's wonderful moments by which they do have hand puppets at one point that are talking to Jenny. We see, obviously, the utilization of, say, even cat paws as the individual hit in the background are dancing. They're jumping around. They're on a bus at one point. There are some really wonderful dance numbers. We're even seeing phones being utilized to represent that, that Jenny needs to call her father. But really the scene stealer of this entire song is Dove Cameron as Jenny. She doesn't say anything. And yet her facial expressions express so much joy, excitement, and range of emotion that her body movements and eventually dancing just elevate to perfection. It is just awesome in every way. I implore you, go watch the song. You need to watch it, not just listen to it. You need to watch it. And while you're watching it, just focus on Dove Cameron as Jenny. You will not be disappointed. She's leaning into the song and dance in such a way where she is so excited. Her eyes, her mouth, her head bobbing, her hand motions, body movement. I don't think that Dove Cameron can be any better than in this moment. She doesn't sing. 
yet she is stealing the scene. People are dancing around her. At one point, Melissa and Josh are on both sides of her and they're kind of dancing together and walking. Her dancing is just so adorable. It is so cute. You can't take your eyes off of Cameron. It's just such a fun exciting musical number. It is absolutely utterly wonderful. And I love how the song eventually ends. Everybody is like, oh, I gotta go call my father. And they're like, hey, Jenny, do you have somebody that you would like to talk to now? And she says, yes, yes, I do. And I love that Melissa and Josh are looking very happy. And she's like, I'm gonna go talk to the angry boy in the tent. So setting up that she's gonna go talk to Topher in his tent. Melissa and Josh are gonna look, are gonna scoff, look quite dejected and defeated because it didn't work. So Talk to Daddy is a number that I can listen to over and over and over again. And our main leads crush it. They elevate it. They make it exciting. It's wonderful to watch. And as I said, Jenny, uh, Dove Cameron doesn't even say a word and she's, she steals she steals the thunder. And so I love as the song ends and they realize that Jenny's going to go talk to Topher and that the song ultimately really hasn't worked. Our narrator is back. He comes onto the screen and he says, once again, Josh and Melissa have failed in their quest. Sometimes I wonder why I even bother. And Melissa even kind of cuts in and says, Hey, no one asked you. And so Josh rolls his eyes. And so the narrator kind of changes his tune. He's like, hey, let's spend a little bit more time with our younger, much more appealing couple in the tent. And so Josh is like, hey. So the narrator even makes it nighttime too to kind of make it even more romantic as he says. Eventually, as we see day turns to night, we see that now we're going to focus on Jenny and Topher in the tent who are having a crisis of identity. And they're going to come together to see each other for who they are. Jenny comes in to the tent and she's, you know, Topher's looking unhappy, very dejected. He felt very much defeated. And so she comes in, she's like, hey, I really adore your little commune you have going. It's very free-spirited and fabulous. And so she's making some really cute remarks about his dirty feet, his face paint. She sits down in front of him and they're sitting in front of each other, just looking at each other. They are showcasing in a kind of a really, a fascination with each other. You know, he even looks at her and she's kind of like, hey, you know, he looks sad and she's even asking him what wrong. And he's like, you know, sometimes it, it feels phony. Like they're more into the idea of me than actual me. And Jenny kind of cuts in. Well, she's like, you know, I know what you mean. Sometimes I get that feeling when I perform at the club. She's like, I love performing. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes I wonder if I'm maybe always performing. If I am, where does the girl on stage stop? And where do I begin? Such wonderful dialogue and conversation between the two that are dealing with some really deep, concepts, how the world sees them, but also how they see themselves. They don't know who they are sometimes. So I really felt for both Jenny and Topher in this moment. I believed it. I felt it. So I do feel like this conversation is so genuine, so real that the rest of Chicago just falls away. They're looking at each other. They're caring about one another. They're really listening to one another. And so I love that Jenny even says, you know, it's strange because I know we've just met, but honest, sweet guys like you are not really my type, but I just have this feeling they are falling in love at this moment. And they feel ultimately that they can be themselves around each other. Their chemistry is just off the charts. I don't want to be cured. Don't want you to save me because that's absurd. I just want your heart next to mine. That's all I need. I used to look up above for something to guide me, something to love. But in your eyes, 
What a perfect follow-up to the song Talk to Daddy, right? Is this sweet duet something real? Oh my goodness. It is just raw. It's real. It's beautiful. It is clearly elevated by Dove Cameron and Aaron Tveit. The tempo of the song is simply magical. The instrumental accompaniment is perfect. The vocals are amazing. And it has the ability to stop you from doing anything in the moment. Again, I remember watching this for the first time and I was like, have I breathed over the last, say, minute and a half? I don't know if I'm breathing at this moment. I just sat on the edge of my seat and just watched as the camera captured these two individuals. The chemistry was off the charts. The blend of their voices is just exquisite. It was just a magical and beautiful moment as I watched it. You can easily get lost in the song and watching these two individuals sing to one another. And it's so much better watching it than even listening to it on, say, Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Music. It's absolutely beautiful how they're looking at each other the entire time. It's such a song with such layered meaning as well. These individuals are feeling something. They feel like they're pretending. They feel like they don't even know who they are inside of this beautiful, crazy, and mixed up magical world that we as an audience don't even really understand. These two characters also don't understand themselves. As a viewer watching it, you're just feeling so many different emotions. It's a song that I didn't even know I needed in my life at the moment. You're just like, oh my goodness, this, this is a beautiful song and I can't get over how talented these two individuals are and how cute and romantic that they are within this scene and how they seem to be two individuals who are truly seeing the other for who they are in that moment. It's exactly what the other truly needs as well. And it's a scene that is to be quite honest, captured perfectly by the camera. I love that you're either looking at the two characters as a side profile, as they're singing to one another or talking to one another, or you're looking at, say, Jenny, or you're looking at Topher, but you're looking over the shoulder of Topher to see the face of Jenny, or over the shoulder of Jenny to look at the face of Topher. You're never actually seeing them by themselves in any one scene. They're always together in every scene. And I love that even at some points when, say, Topher's singing, you might be looking at his face, or as, say, Topher is singing, you're looking at Jenny's face and vice versa. It's really a wonderfully captured uh, duet between these two characters by which you are truly, truly, truly being magically brought in. It's just absolutely amazing. And especially when, say, Topher says the divine part, it just takes you to a new level. It's in, And when they sing something real at the end, it just melts your heart. Damn, it's just such a good scene. And their kiss at the end is just perfect timing. Not too many shows can go from, say, a hippie dance sequence that's singing a really vibrant and exciting song, and then we're going into this kind of romantic, beautiful, real and raw song by which we see our two these two characters really being the only two characters that matter in the entire show in that one moment. Um, not even the two major leads who are trying to get out of Chicago. Ultimately, right after that, we're going to see Josh and Melissa sitting next to each other, and Melissa's kind of like, did we just make that happen? And even Josh is like, I think we might have made that happen. And even Josh is saying, wait. 
way, is love the key to the happy ending? And so I love that we're seeing Melissa and Josh kind of looking at each other very proud, looking very romantic in many ways, and believing that maybe this romance is going to be their ticket out of there. Melissa kind of chuckles and looks at Josh and says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Melissa now wants to focus their attention on Dooley and Miss Codwell, that maybe if they can get these two individuals together, it can be a happy ending for them. That romance and love is the ticket to their getting out of here and ultimately the greatest example of a happy ending. And so that's what they believe they need to do. And then eventually they share a wonderful, nice, sweet kiss. Um, and so ultimately this is that kind of wrap up and moving us towards what will be the kind of ending point of the episode by which the next day they're going to be in the butcher shop meeting with Dooley Blight. Again, Alan Cummings, who's just absolutely fantastic in this role as this kind of Sweeney Todd-esque individual. Both Melissa and Josh, and again, I'm not going to lie, Melissa's outfit in this is just fierce. It's fantastic. What incredible wardrobe. And so they walk into the butcher shop and we see Dooley. He's cutting meat at this point, but he even tells them that he's out of meat. And Josh is like, but it's only 9 a.m. And so they eventually ask how he is. And I love that Blight says, the world is crawling with maggots of humanity's failure. No light can shine through the layers of evil. And I and Melissa and Josh just look at each other and they look horrified. But then Dooley just says, the weather's pretty good though. It, so I love that it has this dark moments, light moments, hilarious moments, dramatic moments. It really is packing a punch in a very, you know, only 31 minutes. Again, there's not a lot of meat on the bones. It's a lean episode. It's fast moving and it is full and I love it. And so again, Alan Cummings in this role, he's such a presence. He's going for it. And so Melissa and Josh are trying to tell him that they have someone to, that they want him to meet. And he's like, what, the police? And he gets all nervous. And no, 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 actually a woman. So I very much enjoy the fact that Josh and Melissa were so quick to say no when Dooley said, uh, you contacted the police. Are the police the ones that want to meet me? They are telling him that there is a woman who's interested in you. And he's like, really? A woman? And I love how Josh cuts in and he's like, come on, man, you're single. You got your own business. You got to get back out there. Um, and so even Melissa says, yeah, you know what? We're thinking it'd be good for you actually to have dinner with Miss Codwell. And so he gets a little bit angry at this point. He's got the sad eyes, he's got dirty hair, blood all over his clothing. And he's kind of like, you know, no woman would want to have dinner with me. And Melissa's like, no, no, don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll get you cleaned up right, right, Josh? And so the scene eventually cuts to our dinner with our four characters. We see Kristen Chenoweth as Miss Codwell. We see her in this episode for the first time. I mean, I love Kristen Chenoweth. I mean, come on. I was first introduced to Kristen Chenoweth on Pushing Daisies. In this series, she plays Miss Codwell. She's kind of in charge of the orphanage. She is sick of all these orphans around her. She is just fantastic and ultimately very diabolical and anyways as well. And so we have the dinner, we have the four characters there. We see Dooley to our right, Miss Codwell to our left. They're kind of looking at each other as Josh and Melissa are sitting next to one another. And I'm telling you this, Codwell, uh, Kristen Chenoweth's character, looking intently at Dooley, she is interested. And again, looking incredibly fierce in her kind of yellow dress. And so I love that the conversation is kind of centering around, obviously, Melissa and Josh trying to get them to talk. Dooley picks up his meat cleaver and he's like, well, I have my meat cleaver. Codwell just kind of looks at it with incredible intent because he, he went to dinner with his cleaver. And so she's looking at his meat cleaver and she's just like, ooh, so big and so shiny. It's lovely. Melissa and Josh must be thinking that this is a dinner date from hell, but they're like, hey, they're hitting it off. So again, if this is your ticket to a happy ending, then all right. And so I love that Melissa starts asking Codwell about her day and she's talking about the orphans in her orphanage. It's always this. It's always that. They're hungry. We're tired. Me hair's falling out. And she is mock crying these children. And she's like, oh, I've had it. It's enough. And she slams her head, hand down on the table. I mean, she is 
not very happy to be in charge of this orphanage any longer. And so she is completely complaining in this moment. Josh's uh, comment in the silence where he says, well, you know, maybe you should feed them though. I mean, if they're hungry. So I love as the dinner date continues, we start to see the four main characters start to eat their food. But I love that Dooley starts to eat his food with his meat cleaver. I mean, he literally takes the cleaver, puts it in like the mashed potatoes and starts eating it. But I love Kristen Chenoweth with her incredibly cockney accent. I'm not really sure what she's doing it, but it works and I absolutely love it. <laughs> she eventually takes Dooley's cleaver. She starts cutting his meat. And then Dooley just looks at her and thanks her and says, I can't remember the last time someone cut my meat for me. And he says it very sexual, <laughs> but Codwell is loving it. And again, I can't stress enough. It really does look like Alan Cummings and Kristen Chenoweth are having a blast with these characters. She eventually compliments the knife and he eventually allows her to hold on to it. And so, but I love that Melissa and Josh just look absolutely uncomfortable the entire time. And so the scene eventually cuts to the street after the dinner, of course, and we see Codwell taking Dooley by the arm and they're walking. Josh and Melissa seem really happy. They're like, if this is our path towards a happy ending, I think we're doing it. So they are feeling really high in this moment as Dooley and Codwell walk and eventually they're outside her home and they're, they're talking and they're even at one point she's trying to give the meat cleaver back and he says, no, you keep it. It's kind of a nice touching moment. She even invites Dooley into her house and she even says that the orphans are locked up in their crates for the night, but we can wake them up. What a horrible person. These people are terrible, but you're laughing and you're enjoying it because it's just absolutely ridiculous. And so eventually we're going to go inside the Codwell home by which we see Codwell and Dooley are sitting on the couch. Again, the orphan children are all waiting on them. They're making cocktails and they are having a deep conversation. Dooley is telling her that he does not have a lot of meat, that a lot of other businesses are undercutting them, pricing them out. He does not have a lot of meat for his butcher shop anymore. And then Codwell's getting very angry. She's like, that's awful. She's like, I'm not going to buy from that company anymore. And he's, and then he's even like, no, 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 you have a lot of hands to feed. And so please, you need to buy meat. And even Codwell responds, horrible creatures, a lot of them. And they never thank me either. And she's getting angry about the orphans in her house as she's recognizing the fact that she has all this meat, but his business is going under. And so she calls them pests and even Dooley kind of cuts in. He calls them vermin. This scene is getting really dark and you're like, what is happening here? And so Dooley says, you've got too many orphans. I've got too little meat. Life is just a pile of shit. And so Codwell is kind of listening intently. And she's like, indeed, my dear. And then she says, what if, let's say I could get rid of some of the orphans and you could get some meat at the same time. And the music starts to hit. And this is when we're getting the Sweeney Todd Annie crossover fan fiction that we had no idea that we wanted. Have you any mutton? That would be satin. Perhaps some foie gras. Bologna. Tony. Salami. Tommy, and we've also got ribbon. If you like pastrami. Do you have mincemeat? Well, since meat is sparse, we got mincemeat instead. Slice right off of his eyes. Miss Codwell, please, there are children present. Not for long. No, because we're going to kill them and sell them as meat. Uh, hey, ain't got no dad. Ain't got no mom. And so this is the moment by which the audience is saying, 
hey, wait a minute. We start to question, what is transpiring here? Are these two characters now talking about child orphan murder and then utilizing these children's meat to sell in the butcher shop? Question mark? Yes, that's exactly what they're talking about. It is that dark. I, I think that Melissa and Josh missed the point. You just set up two people whose puzzle pieces fit together perfectly well, but in ways that lead to child murder and then selling that meat in the store. Oh my goodness. Either way though, I mean, I could watch Cummings and Chenoweth go back and forth on this song for hours. It's pure entertainment. And the kids in this are just hilarious. They are fantastic. And the children just have smiles on their faces the entire time. And then it goes into the song, Good Enough to Eat. It's a couple minutes of just pure unadulterated comedy by which the song is so catchy. It is so fun. The puns are perfect. The song is just hitting all the right notes. The rhymes are incredibly clever and how they're doing it is just simply good fun. And let's be honest, we love it. And Kristen Chenoweth as Miss Caldwell is perfect. And even we can see her having a marvelous time as she's doing it. Even as one point where she's tap dancing with one of the children towards the end, she is having a wonderful time. And again, th that tap dancing, and a lot of the children do tap dancing. Let's go back to the beginning of this episode, right? Melissa, very angry at the narrator, said she loves Schmigadoon because of the tap dancing. Well, you got yourself some tap dancing, and it is fun tap dancing, but they are tap dancing to their own murder, and there's literally the children tap dancing while they're putting vegetables into a large pot, but it's clever and it's really fun and absurd. You might ask yourself the question, should I be laughing at this? Yes, no way in hell that they're gonna get to the end of the season by which these two characters are now actually killing children and selling their meat. It's not going to happen. This is an episode that had one of the first major dance numbers is a hippie dance sequence. It's colorful, it's vibrant. We eventually go into a sweet, beautiful duet and now child murder again. What an incredible episode. But the episode comes to an end. We are now looking out a window. We're looking at Josh and Melissa. They're looking really happy. Clearly, they're not listening to the lyrics of the song by which they're watching. They're just excited that Dooley and Miss Caldwell, they are hitting it off. And so let me play this short clip of that short conversation. But one thing to understand, as they are having this conversation, the camera is pulling back further into the house. As they are on the outside of the house, on the outside of the window, we see that the narrator, Titus Burgess, is standing to the right, kind of looking quite shocked. As Melissa and Josh think that they have done such a great job and he in many ways is rolling his eyes, kind of putting his head down and kind of walks away like, do you have any idea of what you've just done? <laughs> Look at them. They're all so happy. Hey, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but this is really starting to feel like a happy ending. You did good. The second season of Schmigadoon focused on Schmicago was just an incredible elevated watch. For some reason, the connection between Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key, their characters of Josh and Melissa, as well as the side characters that we see, particularly in Dove Cameron's character of Jenny, as well as in even Kristen Chenoweth's character of, say, Miss Codwell in Dooley Blight, played by Alan Cummings, as well as Aaron uh, Tveit, um as Topher, just absolutely incredible. And that's why I loved this episode the most. These were my favorite characters and this episode put them front and center. And I love that the narrator, one of my other favorite characters throughout the entire series, but simply and purely, perfect in this episode is kind of getting under the skin of Josh and Melissa, but ultimately trying to make them find out what they need to do to leave Chicago. You don't get to just leave. You need to figure out why you're here and what you need to do. To leave. Okay, you know that you need to find a happy ending, but what does that actually mean? 
you ultimately think that it means finding romance for everybody. But again, romance and love don't guarantee that you are going to have a happy ending. But I love that they're trying this out in this episode. And you're seeing it through three really great songs that are trying to say what happy endings could be like. It's dark, it's sweet, it's bright, it's everything in between, and you just love it. And ultimately, that's exactly what the entire second season did right. And ultimately, with Josh and Melissa being in the know, being at the center point. And so the first season, they were two separate. We're here, they're completely together and they're trying to figure out and solve this. And so what I like about this episode is that they're leaning in. They're just messing up a lot. And the narrator is more than happy to tell them when they're fucking up that what they decide to do can have some really dangerous consequences on the world of Chicago in this universe of, say, Schmigadoon. So that wraps up this episode of Must Rewatch TV. And I do hope you enjoyed this discussion of Schmigadoon, more specifically the incredible unique fourth episode, Something Real, from the second season focused on Schmigago. But as always, I want to hear your thoughts. If you feel so inclined, please leave a comment. You can get in touch with me at mustrewatchtvz at gmail.com or on Instagram at mustrewatchtvz. Let me know what you think about this episode of Schmigadoon. Do you agree that the second season is far superior to the first? And do you also agree that fans who were not sold on the first season should give Schmigago a chance and they won't regret it? Also, which song from this episode is your pick for the best? The hippie dance number, Talk to Daddy, the Topher Jenny love song, Something Real, or the orphan murder cannibal song, Good Enough to Eat? I told you it was an episode that ran the spectrum. Don't forget to show the love and support by subscribing to the podcast and get notified of every new episode as soon as it drops. Join me next time and save me a spot at the bubbler as I rewatch and then discuss some wicked awesome TV.